halfway through the book of Colossians. Let's remember to turn our ringers off our phones. And let's be settled in our seats because God wants to speak to us some very important things this morning. And in the first two services, uh, people were really blessed and, and God really spoke to them. And we want to prepare our hearts and our minds to receive from the word of God. So Colossians we finished the first two chapters of Colossians. We'll start in chapter 3, verse 1 this morning in our verse by verse study of Colossians. And before we get into our study, let's pray. Lord, we do come to you this morning. We need to hear from you. We are here knowing that the written word of God, this is God breathed, put to the page. And Lord, may we be teachable. May we hear clearly your voice speaking to us even in that conviction, not to push us away, but to draw us to you. And Lord, I do pray that as we gather here in this place, we pray for our children, a lot of them going back to school tomorrow. And Lord, we just pray for your hand to be upon them. And Lord, I pray you keep them close to you and strengthen them, protect them. Be with the teachers and helpers and all the parents here. And Lord, I pray for a good school year. I also pray that, Lord, that this would be a place where they would be loved and encouraged in the Lord in every way. I also want to pray for this week just a number of families that experienced loss. Loss of parents, loss of children. Loss of loved ones. We weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. But I know that there have been those who are coming in, maybe here, that are hurting. We pray for your comfort to be with them. You are the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation. And, and we know that that was written by Paul when he said we are pressed beyond measure. I pray that you would bring, Lord, strength and wisdom during this time of loss. I also know that there are those who are just experiencing difficulty and upheaval with family and friends. Trying times and they need wisdom. Lord, they need your direction and guidance. So, Lord, we thank you that you are a God that we can come to the throne of grace in time of need. And I pray right now that as we gather, even as, Lord, we see the things going on around us in this world, the devastating fires in Maui and even a close friend of mine who lost his house, just devastate, burnt to the ground, so many lives lost, many missing still. We pray that you would be with those in, in Maui right now. The destruction, and sometimes we, we realize during these times where we see the images or we go through loss ourselves, that truly our security is in you. I think of the prophet, prophet Habakkuk, who would receive the word from the Lord that the land's going to be barren, and that there's going to be judgment that will come to his people when he was wrestling and struggling with all that. But at the end of the book, he, that he's worshiping 
because he knew he could trust you and rejoice in you, and we can too. Even in the difficult moments or the wondering and wrestling we go through, that as we wait on you, as we seek you, as we hear your word, I pray that you bring everything that we need here this morning. So we commit this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us on Sunday mornings going through this epistle, Colossians, you know that Paul, he's chained to a Roman guard. There in Rome in his first imprisonment. He's putting pinned to parchment, and he's writing to this church at Colossae in Asia Minor. There's no evidence at all that Paul had established the church of Colossae or he even visited the city of Colossae. He knew some of the Christians there. And he's writing to them, and as he is, he is exhorting them to continue in the faith. And so in verse 6 of chapter 2 that we read, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You've received him by faith. Continue to walk in that faith. Be established in faith, and you're going to be rooted and built up in him. And know this, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So Paul here, we have seen very clearly, he's warning the Christians initially because false teachers had come into the church with their false doctrine, taken away from Christ, the the deity of Christ, the truth of uh, the preeminence of Jesus Christ, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And he would write to them about those things, establishing them in truth, and that Christ is our source of wisdom and knowledge. And make sure that you're not being swayed away from the truth by those who come with persuasive words, verse 4 of chapter 2, and don't be deceived by the false teachers. But not only don't be deceived, but don't be cheated. That word cheated has the idea of being robbed. Don't be robbed by the philosophy of the world. Don't be uh, robbed, cheated by mysticism and legalism. And now as we move into chapter 3, the apostle is going to remind us of something very important. That we're to prioritize heaven, keep our minds on heaven, and then how it is that we live for him. So let's begin to look at that in chapter 3 of verse 1. That if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above, not things on the earth. If, or it can be translated since, it's a class condition, it's a completed action. Since you were raised with Christ, or that is you identify with Christ, because of your faith in Christ, you believe in Christ, then set your mind on the things above where Christ is. And I think a real key, listen, to our Christian living is to keep focus and priority on heaven, eternity, on the one who's sitting on the throne in heaven, to remember that we don't belong to the kingdom of this world. We're pilgrims that are passing through. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we belong to the kingdom of God. And since we identify with Christ, our thoughts are to be really towards the Lord, the one who is enthroned in heaven, towards eternity. He, he says, set your mind on the things above, not just the things on this earth. It doesn't mean that we don't think about anything else. We all have cares of life. We all have interests and things that we see going on around us that we talk about and discuss. But the priority is that we're to set our minds on Christ and the things above. And how is it that we do that? Well, number one, by being in the word of God. And I pray that you read your Bible every single day. The year ones that you're taking in the word, coming here, continuing 
to, to be uh, studying the Word with us and get involved with one of those Bible studies. But the Word of God is alive, and it gives us truth, and it helps us, it guides us, it gives us wisdom, because in Christ, what? It's in all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's important that we be established in the Word of God, taken in the Word, but also through prayer, second of all. And, and just as we come together corporately, I pray and hope that you would have a prayer life, that you seek the Lord daily. Isn't it incredible? I mean, think about this, that we have the privilege and the opportunity to go before the Lord. He invites us to come to him and pray. He invites us to come to him with thanksgiving as we give our requests and supplication to him. He invites us to ask for wisdom, as James says, when we need it. And I don't know about you, but I need wisdom. He, he wants us to come to him as his children. He invites us, and as Hebrews says, as we can come to the throne of grace in time of need, that we can come boldly, chapter 10 of the book of Hebrews, into the Holy of Holies, the tangible presence of God, and we can come with confidence because of what Jesus Christ has done. It's not our own confidence, but in the presence of the Lord, we have opportunity to come to him every single day, every moment, every hour, because he's there desiring for us, his children, to come to him. Having the spirit of adoption. So we study the word of God. We, we have a prayer life. And we have fellowship with one another, which is important. And again, as I encourage you that, as the Bible tells us, it's important to have that close, intimate fellowship with him. We're to have fellowship with one another. We really do need each other, don't we? Because as we go out into the world, the world beats us up. And the world tears us down. And the world bums us out. But I hope and pray that this is a place where you're here with the brethren, that you can be strengthened and encouraged and blessed in every way. And I saw that happen in so many ways this week, as people were just gathering around those who were hurting, bringing encouragement, bringing prayer, uh, just being able to be together, to, to love on each other and to, you know, pray for one another. So it's important for us to be with fellowship with others, but then also just serving the Lord. And what that means is wherever the Lord has you and opportunity he's given to you, we are to do all things as unto the Lord. When it comes to your family and raising your kids and when it comes to your workplace, we all have a mission field that's out there. It may be serving the Lord in different areas outside these four walls or within these four walls. So those are ways, practical ways, that we can seek those things above. Uh, as he tells us to do that, I, I don't like the saying, perhaps you've heard this, that you're so heavenly-minded that you're no, no earthly good. And maybe somebody's even said that to you. And that is not the heart of Scripture. Rather, as you keep your mind on heaven and in eternity and on the one who sits on the throne, you're going to be used in the best sense in this world for Christ. I like what Philippians chapter 4 verse 8, let me read it to you, that other prison epistle. And I want to remind you, as Paul writes, that we are to whatever things are true and whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely and of good report. If there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. It is important what it is that we take into our minds. So as we set our minds on the things above, we're being reminded, even as in the other prison epistle, Philippians here, that he tells us that we're citizens of heaven. 
that we know that the Lord's going to come back for us, that we know that we're going to have new resurrected bodies. We're going to see here that Paul's going to remind us that we're going to come back with him in glory. And we can be ones that have that living hope, and I can rejoice in him and stand fast in him. And so the central message in the word is set your mind and heart on the things above and verse 3, as we read, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're dead to this world. This world no longer has priority in your life, in my life. The world is not to have a hold on me. I am dead to this worldly, carnal, sinful things that go on all around us. To the weirdness of the world. And it is getting more weird, isn't it? I am hidden in Christ. I live and I think a whole different way than those who belong to the world. And hidden in Christ, listen, this is important. It has the meaning of security and satisfaction. Security, as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, many of you, you know that section of Scripture. It's such a wonderful chapter. As he writes, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, sword, famine? And Paul's writing that was one that went through all of that. He went through tremendous trials and difficulties and sufferings and went through famine. He, he went through persecution. At the time he's writing this epistle, he's in prison, chained to a Roman guard. He went through all of that and he writes, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can separate us, is what he goes on to say. And then through all of that, he says, neither tribulations, distress, persecution, difficulties will separate us from the love of Christ. Because we have God's love and we are secure in Christ. You see, sometimes when we go through persecution or we go through trials or we go through loss or we go through difficulties, we begin to think and then the enemy comes along and begins to whisper in our ear, you're not really a child of God. God doesn't love you. He's forgotten all about you. He's left you. He's no longer with you. You're not important to him. And may we always remember, listen, never forget this, that you as a believer, you are hidden in Christ and nothing can separate us, as the word of God says, from the love of God. You know what that word in the Greek, nothing, means? It means nothing. Yet in all these things, the apostle would go on and write that we're more than conquerors to him who loved us. That is, he loves us and will continue to love us. And we can put the rest, listen, put the rest today of the lie that says to you that God doesn't love me, or I'm not important, he's left me, I'm separated from him. You have the spirit of adoption as you. you are a child of God, a believer, that you can cry out, Abba, Father. My life is hidden in Christ as far as the world knows because the world doesn't know Christ. So my satisfaction and my priority, my joy is in Christ, comes from Christ, not from this world. My security and my strength is in Christ. Amen? We live for him, not for the world. And yes, I have responsibilities in the world. And I can enjoy doing different things of the world. We got cares of the world. But he is the priority. And he is the anchor to my soul. 
And he is truly my satisfaction. And there is a seeking of those heavenly things, the things above and on him. I'm hidden in Christ, and I have such a wonderful future. As we continue in verse 4, he writes, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Do you ever think about coming back with the Lord in the second coming? I know that I do, and it's just, it's, this is reality. This is not a fairy tale. We're going to come back with him. Jesus Christ is our life. He's not just added to your life. He is your life. And Jesus is coming back again. And this is a promise of Scripture we see throughout Scripture. And we know that when he comes back to set up his kingdom, we who belong to him, we're going to come back with him in glory, and we're going to rule and reign with him. Jude, that little epistle before the book of Revelation, tells us that, behold, he comes with ten thousands of his saints. Revelation chapter 19 that records the second coming of Jesus Christ tells us that when he comes to this earth to establish his kingdom, that the armies in heaven are going to follow him, clothed in fine linen, on white horses. That's you and me. What a glorious day that's going to be. That's our future. So in light of that, keep your mind on heaven, not on this life that will pass away. And remember that the Lord is coming back, and we're coming back with him. And because of all that, verse 5, we continue reading, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. In light of the fact that you belong to Christ, you're hidden in Christ, you're going to appear with Christ in glory. Heaven's where it's at. In light of all that, you put to death the things that are against God and a part of this world. You put to death, number one, he writes, fornication. Fornication, which is, refers to any and all sexual sin. It is the Greek word, fornication, pornea, where we get our word pornography. And it is a huge, 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 huge problem in our culture. And unfortunately, even in the church today, even among Christians, pornography is a destroyer of marriages, of families. It will destroy your soul. It is really bad news. Don't think of it lightly. It is very evil in the eyes of God. It's so easily accessible. It's all around us. Push of a button on the phone, tablets, computers the internet, social media, it's everywhere. And the word of God tells us that we're to put it away, put it to death. Because fornication, pornography, it comes straight from the pit of hell. And as we read this, we are told that we are to determine in our hearts, our mind, because God, by his Holy Spirit, is giving you the power to be free from that junk, from that evil. And to know that his commandments are his enablements. 
And when he commands us to put to death these things, he will empower us to do it. You say, I will not look at, I will not read, I will not pull up, and I will not watch or do anything that causes me to fall into this sin of fornication, to gaze upon pornography. And if I have to get rid of that cable TV, get rid of it. Get rid of social media if you have to. You say and determine in your heart, I will not watch movies, shows, videos, whatever. I read an article not long ago that more and more people are getting the simple flip phones now, getting rid of the smartphones. But you do what you need to do. I won't go see movies that has that sexual scene. I, I won't look at which is sensual, sexual, and contact, con, context. I, I don't care how short the scene might be, how popular the movie is, if everybody else has seen it, how fascinating the storyline is, because once you see that image of fornication on the screen, it sticks in your mind, even if it's for a few moments. And it will cause your flesh to want more. It's like a fire that wants more fuel. Just another work, just another look, one more look. And after you've taken in that image, you know what it'll do? It'll torment you. And it will haunt you. So the Word of God says, put it to death. You make a decision. And perhaps there's somebody here that needs to make that decision right now. That I'm not going to do that. Because I hear what the word of God says, to put to death fornication of any kind. He goes on to say, put to death uncleanness, which means anything that is filthy or dirty, the state of moral impurity. We live in such an immoral culture that has developed a system from, for condoning sin. Uncleanness means reeking with sin. Those of the world, they can live a life where they just reek with sin. They don't even know it. The third thing that we're to put to death is passion. The word here in the Greek means an uncontrollable desire, a compulsive desire. So many people are ruled by their uncontrollable desires, especially in the area of immorality. It is a terrible thing to be dictated by the flesh. You and I are to be free from that, to walk in the Spirit. The fourth thing that we're put to death is evil desire, which could be translated lust. It means to experience strong physical desires, particularly of a sexual nature, but not exclusively. And it is greed to have more, more of that. More lust in, in, of that person. But then fifth and last on the list of sins that we're to put to death is covetousness, coveting. It's a word that's used ten times in the New Testament. You know what it means. It's a desire to have more, have what somebody else has. It's a sin that Jesus personally warned his disciples about in Luke's gospel. You are motivated by greed to have what somebody else has. We live again in a nation and in a culture that we can covet so easy. We are told constantly, all day long, the advertisements, people around us, that you're not going to be happy unless you have that thing or have what they have. It is a sin that is listed in the Ten Commandments of Exodus. But I'll be honest with you. In all the years that I've been a pastor, over 30 years, I have very rarely had anyone confess to me or grieve over the sin of coveting. 
And it's a huge problem. It can even be a problem in the church and in ministry. How come I don't have their building? How come I don't have their programs? How come I'm not as popular as he is? And we're told we're to put it to death. Paul here in Colossians 3 says it's idolatry, which is the worship of something other than God. It is to have affection or love for someone or something over God. It is dominating you. You can't live without it. It has priority over your relationship with the Lord. And it's an idol. And we are told very clearly you are and I are to put it to death. Because verse 6, and these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. God will judge sin. The Christian is not to be... Uh, living like the sons of disobedience. A Christian cannot be comfortable in sin. You do not live as though you are alive to sin. We're dead to sin, is what the book of Romans tells us. You don't walk in sin. Now, on this side of eternity, we still have a battle with the flesh. We're not sinless. We should be sinning less as we grow in the Lord, but we're not sinless. So we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're not to practice sin. We're not to walk in sin. We're desired to walk in holiness. And God's command to us is we are to put these things to death that we just talked about, that we are not to be walking in disobedience. It's a decisive action. Mortify it. Do it now. Don't be involved in it. Don't entertain it. Don't make excuses about it. You must rid yourself of all such things. God is going to judge sin once and for all. And in verse 7, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You don't walk in that anymore. You Christians of Colossae and you of Calvary Chapel. You, you used to walk in those sins, but now not anymore because now we get to be free to live for him. We walk in that newness of life. You're dead to all that stuff. No more is the flesh to dominate us. We walk after the spirit. We set our minds on Christ, on heaven. We are to be ones that to remember that we have eternity to look forward to. And then in verse 8, but you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. So Paul telling us now in chapter 3, not only to put to death, mortify it, take decisive action is what is meant by that. So put to death, verse 5, but now in verse 8, put off. Interesting that the Bible tells you and me as Christians that we're to be put offs. Put off all the traces of worldliness. It literally means taking off a, a suit of clothes. So we go camping for a few days. And we come back and we take off the dirty clothes. Maybe you're working out in the garden. Some of you guys, you, you work out in the fields and you work all day. You come home and you change. Uh, you, maybe you go exercise. You go for a run. You take off the sweaty clothes. That's the idea that we're being told spiritually we're to, to put off. And I want to remind us that as we talk about putting to death or putting off carnality and worldliness, I want to remind you that it isn't we grit our teeth and say, look how tough I'm going to be. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we're going to see and be reminded of that in these six things that we're told to put off in verses 8 and 9. 
We need God's help in this because, first of all, he says, and this is a big one, anger. Put off anger. It speaks of a deep, smoldering spirit. It is something that's festering inside of you. It can lead, as it continues to grow in you, a desire for revenge. It was the sin of Cain in Genesis chapter 4 when he killed his brother Abel. He was angry. It is an anger that originates from bitterness and resentment and jealousies in our heart. And it grows and begins to spread. And once that anger grows in your heart, it will cause you to want revenge, to take action, to tear down. It produces criticism and judging and causes our emotions to be out of control. It will poison your soul and do a destructive work in your life. And it will produce rotten fruit. I think all of us have gone through times, maybe seasons, if not most of us, where we are angry. Have you ever noticed it takes a lot of energy out of you to be angry? Some people, they don't put it off, are angry all their lives. Week after week, month after month, year after year. And I understand, I don't want to minimize your hurt that you've gone through. Or the difficulty. Or the circumstances that you've been cut deep. You might be thinking, Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I don't, but God does. And his word is true for you. And one of the hardest things is to give him the anger that we're feeling and to ask, God, help me to forgive. It doesn't condone what they did. Overlook. It doesn't always mean when we have asked for, to forgive that person who really hurt us that the relationship's going to be restored. You might be in that place where you need to be protected. But we're to put it off and give it to the Lord. Take off this anger and ask God for help. And it's one of the hardest things that God has called us to do. And when we need to forgive and when we need to put off the anger because of what somebody has done to us. And we have to do it over and over and bit by bit. And day by day to say, Lord, help me to forgive. Because he doesn't want that to have power over you. Anger can be this silent, abiding anger, slow burning, long lasting, smoldering kind of thing that's ready to explode. Anger that lasts ends up becoming a part of your personality. And it corrupts the soul. And if it isn't put off, you will begin to be resentful to everything and everyone, and you'll take it out on the people who are closest to you. And you will be blue, and you will be depressed, and you'll be down all the time. We do get angry. We look at the things going on around us. We see things taking place, and we can get angry. I get angry. Jesus got angry, but it was a righteous anger. He looked at the Pharisees in a synagogue there in Capernaum, Mark's gospel tells us, and he looked at them with anger because they didn't care about the people. He overturned the money changers' tables and drove out those who sold sacrifice there in Passover week before he went to the cross. But he didn't sin. Paul comes along and he says, be angry, 
but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place for the devil. And if you are angry and you continue in that anger where it leads to sin, the enemy is going to take it and he's going to blow the doors wide open on it. Because you're angry. And you may say, I have a reason to be angry. I understand that. And we go through life where it can be unfair and injustice, but God says, don't live life angry. I've died for you. I've provided forgiveness for you. Give it to me. You know why the Lord says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? He's saying, give it to me because you can't handle it. Let me take it. And you put it off. You belong to the kingdom of God. This world is going to bring hurt. And it's going to bring anger. But put it off. God wants you to be joyful. And he wants you to put your energy not into that being angry all the time. But he wants you to put that energy into setting your mind on him. And the reason I'm spending a little bit of time on this is because I have known people that have carried anger around for so long. I've even met some that after a while they even forget what they're angry about. Give it to the Lord. Let him bring comfort and hope and strength to you. The second thing we're to put off is wrath. It speaks of a sudden outburst of anger, like a volcano that blows its top. It speaks of someone who is quick-tempered and throws temper tantrums, has turbulent emotions. This is a person with a short fuse or vicious temper, like a bomb ready to go off. There's resentment and jealousies because they're not getting their way. Put it off. That hostile, hateful action towards others, and it will lead to abuse if you don't put it off. The third thing, put off malice, which is tied closely to wrath and anger. It speaks of hurting people with words that we speak. Remember when you were a kid, perhaps, and when you went to school, your mom taught you or the teacher taught you and somebody taught you, when somebody, if they made fun of you, that you say sticks and stones you know, will break my bones. Words will never hurt me. Did you ever told that or heard that saying, you know what the problem is? It's not true. It's not true. Because we get hurt with words, and it can do a lot of damage. And I've had people up in my office, you know, couples, others, family members, that one of them said, well, you said this, and the other one responded by saying, I said that years ago. And it really affected them. Put it off. Blasphemy. In this case, Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, is making reference to words of insult, put-downs towards others. Again, the idea is to hurt people, to get under their skin. James, in his epistle, writes about how the tongue is unruly and full of poison. Blasphemy here refers to speaking words evil towards another, to damage them, to put them down, to, to... Put down their reputation. It's slander, which defames and insults. We live where that goes on continually. In the news, commentators, talk shows, social media, and it's not to be a part of you and me as Christians. Listen, we go out there, we get beat up by the world during the week. And I pray that as we come here, it be a place where we can be built up and encouraged. Do you want to be known as one who just tears people down? I don't think any of us want that. Or you build people up. 
We're to put off filthy language. It speaks of obscene, derogatory words towards others. It's speaking filthy words or being fouled mouth. Some of you that you have people in your life, maybe it's, it's somebody you work with or a family member or somebody else, that they're just fouled mouth. And it's hard to be around that. The Bible has a lot to say about the words that we speak. Season with grace. Pleasing to God. I remember years ago, there was a popular pastor that a lot of young guys were really following after. And, and he was known as the cussing pastor. He would cuss over the pulpit. It's like, what is that all about? That's not biblical. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Filthy language may include just rude and crude comments. Put it off. Put it off as a Christian. It shouldn't be. We shouldn't be cursing. We shouldn't be speaking of rude things and crude things. It ought not to be of us at all. And people will not want to be around you. If that's the way you speak or any of us. And then in verse 9, don't lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, you be honest. Because you see, if you lie, you're going to ruin that trust that you have with the people around you. And you be honest. Sometimes we think, I'm going to lie because, you know, it'd be better. And again, I've had people come and say, well, I kind of lied about this because I didn't want to hurt them and I didn't want them to know about it. And it's like, so I just lied about it. Why did you have to lie about it? Why did you have to hide it? Because your sin will find you out. And you just break trust with the people that you love. I've known people, I remember one guy, he'd look at you straight in the eyes and he'd lie to you. When bad lie. And if it continues, you can begin to believe your lies that they are truth. Listen, be honest. Speak words of encouragement. Build people up. Put away that stuff. Put off, you know, any kind of fornication, the worldly things, and walk with Christ and be a blessing to others as you set your mind on the things above. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for. These verses, there's a lot there. And I just pray that right now, while we got a few minutes, that we'd be just settled in our seats. There'd be no moving around, just being respectful. And Lord, if you are speaking to us about things that need to be put off or put to death, the things of the world, our actions, what we're watching, the words that we speak, what we're involved in, help us to do that. And if you're convicting us, again, it's because you're a loving Father that does want, not want us to be just in bondage to those things. It's to draw us to you, not to push us away. But, Lord, to present our hearts to you and say, Lord, you've spoken to me in your word. I hear you. I'm to put to death these things. I won't look upon those things that will cause me to sin and stumble. I won't be involved in these things because I belong to you, not to this world. I won't be dominated by the flesh, but walk in the spirit. And what comes out of my mouth, Lord, that it may be edifying, building people up, 
in the things of Christ I will speak. And Lord, help me to put away the anger and the malice. And I just sense that that is a prayer of perhaps someone or some ones that are here that has been very hard. Will you give it to him this, before you leave this place being free? To say, Lord, here's my anger because I've held on to it. And help me to heal and help me to forgive and to move forward in you. I give it to you right now. Give it to him. Maybe pornography has been a huge problem. You be like David and made a covenant with his eyes that will not set my eyes on anything that is evil. I'm not pleasing to you. I'm going to put it to death. Lord, I need your help. I need healing in my heart. Maybe someone who has been lying or maybe just tearing people down, attitudes, whatever it is, give it to the Lord right now. He loves you. He wants to work in your life. He doesn't want you to continue in this way. Commandment is given to you so you can walk freely with him, live for him. So Lord, thank you. Pray you to fill everyone with your spirit right now. Help us live for you. The blessings that we have of joy and peace, wisdom and strength. Help us walk in the Spirit. To live for you what we can't do in the flesh by ourselves. And I also, I just want to pray if you're here or if you're listening, that you've never committed yourself to Christ. Here's the thing, you can't do this unless Jesus saves you and the Holy Spirit is in you to live for him. Jesus went and died on a cross for your sins because we're all sinners. And he cried out, it is finished. And then he rose from the grave three days later. And he conquered sin and death. He is the son of God. He is your salvation. There is none other. And it is you as you come to him humbling yourself saying that I need to be forgiven. I need to repent of my sins. And I turn to you, Jesus. You call out to him, and the invitation is to come. Humble yourself. Come to the cross, and in faith believe in that he died for you and rose from the grave. You will be saved, and you'll have a new beginning. And you can do that sincerely in your heart, just praying, Jesus, I come to you, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I do believe you are the Son of God, because you died for me and you rose again. Forgive me, a sinner. And I thank you for this new beginning. And I do want to walk with you and walk in this newness of life and in the new beginning that I have to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. Fill me with your spirit and to keep my eyes on you from this day forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and